Welcome to AM570 The Mission's Church of the Week with guest host Pastor Dave Watson from Calvary Chapel on Staten Island. Church of the Week recognizes one church's amazing work. It's WMCA's way of supporting and strengthening the faithful proclamation of God's Word, discipleship, and evangelism. Telling the world about the love of Christ is a church's mission. Empowering that church is ours. If you would like more information on Church of the Week, contact General Sales Manager Laura Schaefer at 212-857-9639. That's 212-857-9639. And now your host, Pastor Dave Watson. Welcome to Church of the Week. This is Pastor Dave Watson. I'm the guest host here for the next few weeks. And I have the privilege of having as my guest, Pastor Chris Gardner. Pastor Chris is the pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church right there in Brooklyn. Chris, welcome to Church of the Week. Hey, Pastor Dave, it is a privilege to be able to, to uh, speak with you after, a, well, I've been out of commission for quite a while, so uh, just to be able to speak is, uh, is a privilege, but uh, to be able to share with you is really uh, a, a blessed experience for me. Well, Chris, it is good to have you, and, and uh, most folks uh, uh, don't always realize how much a pastor can go through uh, in the age of COVID, um, especially if they get the virus. Uh, how long ago did you get the COVID virus? I got the I got COVID virus at the beginning of March, um, so I've had it all through March and all through April. I just came home on, uh, on this past Friday, um, the 1st of, of May. So you had it for si- over 60 days. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. definitely. Uh, how do you think you contracted it? Uh, I'd rather not say um, because I don't want anybody to feel bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, through a friend. Through a friend. <laughs> With friends like that, Chris, who needs enemies, right? <laughs> That's, uh, that may be, yep. So. That may be. When you, when you first got it, uh, were you aware uh, of, of the fact that a lot of people around you were getting it, that it was a serious problem? Or did you think, like, like many of us did, well, this, maybe this is going to be bad, maybe it's not? Um, more of the second at the beginning. Um, I had already had a cold, um, you know, so I came into this thing with a cold. And, uh, you know, so I've been coughing somewhat. But from the news and all that stuff, I just thought, okay, you know, I'm young. Well, not young, but I'm healthy. Right. And I figured, okay, if, if, if I've got this, um, it'll pass really quickly. Uh, but two weeks later, uh, I was definitely getting worse. And What were your symptoms initially so people know where you were at? All I had was a cough. I had no fever. I had nothing except for a cough that just got worse and worse to the place where um, I could, I'd go into coughing fits that would last anywhere from five to 15 minutes. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, um, did you, at, at, at this point, are you still preaching at church? Uh, what's, what's interesting is that um, I had lined up uh, two of our guys at the church to preach because I was supposed to have an elective surgery. And so, uh, no, I wasn't preaching, but I was at the church uh, doing ministry um, for those two weeks. Wow. 
um, and what 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 elevated it after the two weeks so that you said to yourself, I'm 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 not getting better. I, I need to do something. Well, as as I said, it it continued to progress worse and worse. Um, I was pretty much isolated. I had a pretty good idea that I that I had contracted it because the individual, actually a couple of the individuals that I had been with um, had been tested. And okay. so, you know, I was pretty sure I had it. So on the 17th of March, I went in actually to get a test um, and it came back positive. Um, by that time, my the coughing was at the place where I really couldn't carry on a conversation with people um, without going into a coughing fit. And uh, it just got to the place where I was so physically weak that my wife and I, we, you know, we talked um, from separate rooms, by the way, because I didn't want her in the room with me. And we decided it was time to call uh, the EMTs. I was that weak. Wow. So did you go to the hospital at that point? I did. So uh, April 4th, um, I was admitted to, uh, to the that, hospital. That's, five, that's almost five weeks into this. Yeah. Yeah. So I was admitted to the hospital. Um, my oxygen level was down uh, about 82. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a smart thing to end up uh, going to the hospital. Um, there wasn't a lot they could do. They gave me the, uh, the z pack and the, um, the malaria drug. Yeah. The malaria drug. And that didn't affect me. Um, it didn't help, didn't hurt, but it didn't help. And, uh, it was just the oxygen. Right. Uh, after a week of being on the oxygen, I started to feel a little bit better. I was coughing less. They, they then moved me to a step down unit. I spent another week there. Um, again, because of the oxygen, um, I, I was fairly good. Uh, still had total weakness. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't get up and walk to the bathroom, which was only, you know, 15 feet away. Um, so from there, uh, they sent me to a rehab and, um, at the rehab is where I really started to improve. Did, was, did, did you ever hear them talking about, Hey, we might have to put you on a ventilator or anything like that? Or what, did it never get to that point? Yeah, it never got to that point. Once I got on the oxygen, uh, things started to, you know, stabilize, I should say. Not necessarily improve, but stabilize. Um, when I got to the rehab center, um, if I did any exercising, my oxygen levels would drop down to 87, 88. Um, you know, the norm was around 93, 94. By the time I finished at the rehab, uh, which was two weeks, by then my my norm was up to 95, 96, and I really wasn't dropping that much um, when I did exercise. When when they did a chest X-ray, what did your lungs look like? Um, the 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 chest X-ray at the hospital showed that um, my my chest was highly inflamed. Right. Uh, do you, do you have a residual problem with that still? I do. I have uh, not uh, nothing serious, uh, but I have a, a different tickle in the in the chest uh, that they said may take four to five weeks yet 
uh, for that to, to fully clear up. Just 16 weeks of your life, only, only four months. <laughs> How bad could it be? Exactly. Um, I'm, this is uh, Pastor Dave Watson, guest hosting for Church of the Week. My, my guest is uh, Pastor Chris Gardner of Metropolitan Baptist Church in Brooklyn. Uh, Chris is telling us a little bit about um, his struggle with, with COVID in all of this, uh, COVID-19. Um, so from a spiritual standpoint, uh, uh, just our own spirituality, how how was it going with you and the Lord during this time? Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because I have a uh, a guy that's studying for the ministry, and I I meet with him most Tuesdays. Uh, of course, I haven't for the the past eight or nine weeks. But yesterday, I met with him, and he asked me that same question. And um, he said, "You know, were you fearful? Were there, you know, those things?" And I said, "Well, no, I really wasn't. Um, I wasn't fearful." And it, you know, truly part of it's spiritual uh, in the sense that, as I said to him, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, so I, there's that side of it. The other side was, even when I was at my worst, I really didn't feel that my life was threatened. <laughs> um, that, that might have been foolish uh, <laughs> because I didn't realize how bad I was when I got to the hospital. Right. Um, but, you know, like I said, once they hooked me up to the oxygen, um, things started getting better. Uh, but during that, that time, my prayer life got a lot better. Um, and not just, you know, praying because I was sick. But you're lying in bed for 20 hours, 20, you know, some hours, um, other than them getting you up to eat or, you know, go to the bathroom or, you know, clean up or whatever. Um, when you're lying there, you don't have much else to do. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times when you're in a hospital, you think, great, God's got me here to witness to the, the staff or to witness to the person next to me. But it was interesting that in, in both the hospital and the step-down unit, um, the, the patient in the bed next to me was, the first one was um, an um, Albanian, so he didn't speak English at all. Okay. This, the second guy came in, he was in a coma and he was a, he was Jewish and, and pretty much spoke Hebrew. Well, I can kind of read Hebrew, but to carry on a conversation is, you know, wasn't there. I did get to witness to his, his sister, but, um, and then the, the, the third guy, um, that was my roommate. Um, this guy had a few mental issues and he uh, liked to run up and down the halls without any clothing on. Um, and th there really was no communicating with him. So <laughs> I'm sitting there going, God, you know, you put me here to, 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 to be a spiritual witness. And, uh, and you know, I couldn't even witness to uh, most of my roommates. Um, now, now you, so, you got to observe firsthand the, uh, the healthcare workers. Uh, yes. Did you find in the doctors and the nurses and uh, all those people taking care of you, the EMS people, that they were under a lot of strain? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I just had to fill out a, a survey, you know, from the hospital. And they asked, you know, about the care. Um, and it was, it was kind of hard to fill it out because, uh, 
since since I had minimal need for care, um, I hardly saw the uh, the, the staff. Um, they came in to take vitals, uh, put the tray on for my food, but that was pretty much it. Uh, they were running crazy, and, and especially at that step down unit where that guy was running up and down. I mean, they, you know, constantly having to care uh, for him. Um, and yes, I, the, the times that I got to talk to them, um, they were like, you know, we're working 12 hours a day, um, not getting much sleep, um, you know. So there's no question that that they were really stressed, very busy. Uh, I got to pray with a few of them, um, but most of them didn't even have time to do that. Wow. Now, now the, your wife, she did not get this from you? As far as we know, no. She's had no symptoms at all. Okay, that's very good. That's very good. Anyone else in your family? Because you, you do have contact with your family, I know. And uh, did um, family? Yeah, I have a nephew that lives with us. Um, again, as far as we know, you know, he had no symptoms uh, at all. Um, I really did pretty much isolate. Uh, we have a, a, a basement um, room with a bathroom. Um, so when I was home, uh, especially once we knew that I, that I had COVID, uh, my wife would bring food down, sit outside the door, you know, and I'd pick it up and go um, in from there. So by God's grace, it appears that they have not gotten it. Well, you're kind of like under a Pauline house arrest. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, um, well, so so uh, this is Pastor Dave Watson. I'm guest hosting uh, the Church of the Week program here on WMCA, and I'm I'm speaking with uh, Pastor Chris Gardner of Metropolitan Baptist Church uh, right there in Brooklyn. Uh, and, um, just just so uh, people m might might realize, I mean, your your church is staffed by you and your wife. That it's is correct. Not, there's not a huge huge group of people who. Uh, who come to a staff meeting? Um, you, you, your your numbers are, uh, in terms of paid staff are small. Um, so what happened to your church during this time? You've been you've been gone ten weeks. Exactly. That is that's where I saw what God's reason for setting me aside uh, was all about. Um, as you said, you know, I'm the uh, I, you know we we have um, a uh, South Asian congregation. So there's a there's a pastor for uh, for our South Asian congregation, but I'm the, the senior pastor there um, for the English congregation, and um, yeah, we don't have other staff in that sense. Um, so during this period of time, it was phenomenal. We I have we I do have three guys that are studying for the ministry. And I've been mentoring them and working with them, and I've had another mentoring group that I've uh, that I've worked with. And in January, we started a a mentoring program for everybody in the church. So we did training for uh, twenty some um, mentors, and then connected them to every single person in the church. So every mentor had anywhere from uh, two to, to to five individuals, depending on you know, the spiritual maturity and, and if it was a family and, and those kind of things. And um, that really set the, the tone uh, because they were having already weekly uh, prayer with, with each of their mentees. They were, um, we were doing Bible study. Um, 
monthly uh, meetings where they, they would go over the, the text that we've been studying and all of that. And that really held the church together during this whole time. But what was really cool was the way that, that those guys that I'd been training, they stepped up and they did the preaching while I was gone um, and, and you know, did really great job of, of doing that. Our tech guys stepped up so that we could um, you know, first start with podcasts and then, then live stream. Uh, just so many people stepped up into areas of ministry. Uh, got the Sunday school started again uh, online, um, our kids programs online. So it, just that, seeing how God did that, brought all those people that we had been investing in to just step up into ministry. Uh, I felt like I could retire. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So you pastored. Uh, uh, that church uh, in Bensonhurst for how long? Um, 25 and a half years. 25 and a half years. Give folks the address of the church because it's a really special church. They may want to come visit. What's the address? Ab <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's Metropolitan Baptist Church. Our address is 1624 84th Street in Brooklyn, New York, 11214. But don't so, come by now because none of us can meet together. That's correct. So if you want to connect with us, you have to go to our website, www.metbaptist, M-E-T-B-A-P-T-I-S-T, metbaptist.com. And um, all of this, the sermons for the past couple of years are on podcast uh, on there. And now we're doing live stream um, services. And there's a live stream that, that people can go to for that. Are you, are you on any other mediums? I mean, any other social medias besides uh, live stream? Sure. We're on Facebook. And um, on the Facebook, uh, if they go to, again, uh, Metropolitan Baptist uh, Brooklyn, uh, and they, they have to put the Brooklyn in because all across the United States, there's Metropolitan Baptist um, you know, people on Facebook. But if they go on Metropolitan Baptist, uh, our Facebook page, again, all of our sermons, uh, you know, the live stream sermons and, and things are on there as well. So, so as, as you look back, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to look forward, but as you look back, um, um, uh, what did you think you did right uh, that prepared your church for, for, for this moment in time? Okay, so uh, two major things. I mean, there's lots of things that I can think that I did wrong um, over the 25 years, but let's, let's focus. We only have a half-hour show, Pastor. Okay, so let's stay with the uh, uh, the, the the new things. Um, like I said, about a year and a half ago, uh, I started meeting with uh, different groups of of uh, individuals that showed um, spiritual uh, growth, and um, so we we met every other week for sometimes three four hours. Um, developing theology, developing uh, spiritual de growth in their own lives, um, family, uh, you know, all those, uh, those things that would make them both better Christians, but also uh, better ministers. Um, and then our elders, been working with the elders for 
the same kind of thing. Our elders meetings usually run about four hours, and uh, the first hour and a half um, of those meetings are um, just spiritual training. Um, sometimes we study books together. Um, sometimes it's it's like you know how do we deal with family issues uh, both in the church, um, church discipline, those kind of things. So the past couple of years have really been um, me personally mentoring individuals, and then um, about I'd say uh, last summer uh, started having them start mentoring some people and not just not just the men that I was meeting with but uh, 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 several of the women as well and out of that came the idea to expand that to the whole church um, and so taking those individuals the elders these the guys have been mentoring um, the women who had uh, who had been doing mentoring uh, and a few others we put together uh, this Romans mentoring, and, and, and basically, with starting Jan the beginning of January, um, I started preaching through the Book of Romans and uh, writing devotionals. So I did write five devotionals for the week based upon um, this, the the section of Romans that I was going to be studying or preaching on, and so they'd have five devotionals that they would you know, read to prepare them for the Sunday sermon. During that uh, week, they would be called by their mentor uh, to spend, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes uh, praying with them. Sometimes those meetings, which are supposed to be 10 or 15 minutes, would go to a half hour, 45 minutes, depending on, on the, the needs um, that they had. But anyway, getting everybody in the church focused on that, and then everybody was, was doing memory work. Um, on the chapter eight of Romans. So we're all memorizing, you know, two or three verses a month. Um, so that by the end of, of Romans, we'll have memorized the whole of Romans eight as a church. Okay. So all that, all that was going on. Um, like I said, up until uh, middle of March, when I got to the place where I couldn't write the devotionals anymore. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, what are we going to do? And um, my daughter, who's part of our church, said, well, why don't you ask other people to write? You know, you've got these people that are mentoring, and that's what they did. They picked up, and um, we'd have five different people each week writing those devotionals, getting them, you know, we're getting them out to the, the, uh, the congregation. And by God's grace, uh, I think the church is, is way stronger now than it was two months ago. Two months when, ago, uh, yeah. You took, as we would say, you you took ill. Um, yeah. uh, uh, when do you think you're going to get back? Any idea when you when when services will start again for you? Uh, well, um, as far as preaching goes, I preached last Sunday. I know you got out of the, you got out of rehab on Friday. Didn't want to yep. miss anything, so you preached Sunday. Exactly. Um, you know, as as far as me getting out amongst the people and, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm still somewhat limited with that until my strength gets back up. Um, but um, as far as opening the doors, that's going to be the government that's going to tell us that. Uh, but we've uh, we, we've really improved um, our tech 
stuff at the church. Um, so we'll probably keep live streaming, you know, even when the doors are open. Hey, just, just so everybody has it in their head, please give us those, those, uh, those web addresses again so people can follow you, people can get in contact with you. Okay, so it's uh, www.metbaptist.com. So um, that's, that's our website. And you can find out pretty much everything about the church as well as see the um, sermons live streamed or you can listen to them podcast. And then uh, Facebook, it's uh, Metropolitan Baptist Brooklyn. And, uh, and, and they can access us uh, there. And again, the sermons are on there. Uh, other activities and, and things that we do uh, are put on there. We're, we're uh, just going to begin as well, uh, short devotionals um, throughout the week. We're going to start uh, putting, uh, you know, maybe two, three uh, on a week um, to, to, to help the congregation and anybody else that wants to listen. Uh, this is uh, Pastor Dave Watson. I'm guest hosting Church of the Week this week. My guest has been Pastor Chris Gardner of Metropolitan Baptist Church right there in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. He has had an amazing journey the last uh, last uh, 60 days. Uh, I'm looking forward to the book, Me and COVID. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, in the, in the last 40 seconds that we have together, will you close us in prayer? Absolutely. Our Heavenly Father, how delightful it is for us to be able to communicate in this fashion, knowing, Lord God, that uh, the, the world around us, they also use technology, but they use it very often for, for that which is wrong. And we would thank you for the privilege of being able to communicate the truth of your word and the power of the gospel as it transforms our lives. And through that becomes a testimony both to the church and to the world of the greatness of our God and the power of the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We now return with our Church of the Week's message for today on AM570, The Mission, WMCA. I spent the last two weeks rehabilitating from a very lengthy bout with COVID-19. I had to ask myself what so many have been asking. Is this the new normal? Yet, in another way, I hope this is the new normal for the church. Oh, I'm not talking about the closed doors, but what I have seen happening in these past two months. A pastor friend of mine, for instance, left his church to go work in a nursing home riddled with COVID. Calvary Chapel on Staten Island has raised funds for 200 meals for those who are hurt financially in their community. Samaritan's Purse poured Christian staff into Central Park to care for the most critical of the COVID-19 patients. And then here at Metropolitan, two members have led two online prayer meetings for more than 30 days in a row. A sister in Christ who lost two family members is out giving food to others in the church who have needs. A member of Metropolitan is using her bonus money that she's received during this time to send care packages from Metropolitan Baptist Church to the police, the firemen, EMTs, nursing homes, and hospital workers to thank them for what they're doing during this pandemic. Others in the church have risen up to provide leadership, to write devotionals, 
and to discover ways to keep us in touch as a church family and our community through online ministries. This is the new normal for the church. But actually, it's really the old norm. Because throughout the centuries, Christians, in the name of Jesus Christ, have let the power of the gospel and the love of God give them courage to minister to the most desperate in society. While the world hides in fear, may the church continue to rise up in compassion so the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, might be more than just a cliche. And that's possible because of the truth that we find in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. While we study these five verses, I want you to consider this theme, that God glorifiers glory in the gospel, knowing God has destined us for glory. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a God glorifier? There are many different ways that that we could describe that, but from our text, I want you to notice that being God glorifiers are those who glory in the position of your being in Christ. You know, in the opening four chapters of this book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has opened our eyes to see how rebellious and how sinful every human heart is towards God. And his concluding remarks about that in chapter 3 are devastating for us. There is none righteous, no, not one, he declares. For all have sinned, that is, all have rebelled against God and suppressed the truth about him. And they've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if he had left it there, we'd have been without hope. But at the end of chapter 3 and throughout chapter 4, he showed that God has made a way for us to be forgiven, that we could be restored into a right relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. He called that glorious truth justification. And now, our passage opens with that profound statement. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What an exciting statement. It's hard to grasp that truth. Justification is not just a possibility. For many, it's a reality. We have been justified. It is a glorious experience from our past that has ramifications for our future. Have been justified. And what are those ongoing ramifications? Well, the Apostle Paul begins to describe them for us. Notice how the justified have peace with God. I mean, think of what that means. In the past, as we've seen, we're enemies of God. We're alienated from him because of our evil behavior. You rebelled against your creator. You set your mind in the flesh and became hostile to God. For you did not submit to God's law. Therefore, the wrath of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, was aimed at you, ready to destroy your rebellious soul. What happened to change that? God acted in history by sending his own son into this world, who ended up dying on a cross, where he absorbed the wrath of God on himself. He was like a lightning rod on a house that takes that bolt of lightning and redirects it. Jesus Christ took your place and he took mine on that cross. And through the glorious resurrection, God announced that anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, in his perfect righteousness, in his death in your place, could be forgiven and be cleared right, justified in God's sight. The result is spelled out in the second half of verse 1 where it says, We have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So does that mean that that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is justified and has peace with God? Well, in several of his recent sermons, our elder Sean Morin has discussed the difference between false faith and true faith. Let me illustrate that for you. You see, in 1957, my mother was pregnant with her seventh child, Angel Elaine. However, Angel Elaine was stillborn. She had grown within that womb over those months to full term. But something went wrong at the end. She was given a burial. Each member of our family knows about her. However, if someone asks me about my family, I say, I'm one of 10 siblings, not one of 11 siblings. Why is that? Because even though we know and we care about our little sister, she never breathed the breath of life outside the womb. You know, there are people in the church who would attend on a regular basis. And they talk about believing on Jesus, but they've never experienced the new birth. They have made up their own understanding of who Jesus is. But true faith has not been awakened in them to their mortal danger and to the only possible hope of being justified, declared right with God, and therefore having peace with God. They are, in a sense, stillborn, never having breathed the spiritual life of the kingdom of God. They remain, then, enemies of God. But I want you to notice also how the justified have a place with God. You see, the person who is justified has peace with God, and therefore they have a place in God's family. I'm not talking about in the local church, for people can be in a local church without being alive in Jesus Christ, as we just stated. Having a place with God means two things. First, it means that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us in eternity. He said that, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might be also. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus gave that promise to those of us who are his disciples. But it also means what we read in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know that word translated rejoice, it has an interesting meaning in this chapter. We find it here in verse 2. We'll see it again in verse 3. And then later on, we'll see it in verse 11. Well, that's a powerful word, but it's not the usual biblical word for rejoice. Back in chapter 3, this same word that's translated here as rejoice is translated as boast. Paul says that all of our boasting in our own good works are worthless. Most of the time in the New Testament, then this word that we translate here as rejoice, is translated as boast. A few times it is translated as glory. And here, it's rejoice. I mean, why? Well, think of this. What is the meaning of boast? It means to have extreme confidence in something or someone. To glory in it. To lift it up and exult in it. Yet usually, when we use the word boast, it carries a negative meaning. So the translators chose the word rejoice to carry that meaning. It's not talking about having joy in something, but rather in glorying in or exulting in something. What are we boasting in? What are we glorying in or rejoicing in? God. You see, God has opened up marvelous access to himself through grace. Grace, unmerited favor, is something that we do not deserve. And that stirs a passion in our heart. 
a glorying in it, a, a rejoicing in this hope that God's glory is being restored in us. That image of God given to Adam and Eve is being given back to us, to you and to me. And that's a glorious thought. It is a, a thought worth boasting in, worth glorying in. Think of it this way. General Flynn, a highly decorated four-star general, reached the peak of his career when President Trump appointed him as national security advisor. But suddenly, he was charged with lying to the FBI and he was fired for lying to the vice president. His reputation was gone. His finances, his family destroyed. But in recent weeks, information has come out that seemed to exonerate him. We'll find out in the near future. But suppose it turns out that he is fully declared not guilty by the court system and by the president, and that he is somehow restored to a position in the White House. You see, that is exactly what the text says happens to a person by faith in Jesus Christ. We were guilty, no question about it. But because of what Christ has done, God has pardoned our sins completely. He has restored us to right standing with him as children of God, and he has provided a place for us in his kingdom. And that is worth glorying in. And so we rejoice in our position in Christ. But I also want you to see that we glory in the proof of our belonging to Christ. What we have seen about having peace with God and a place with God seems incredible to believe. We were enemies, and now we have a place in God's family. We're seated at the table as children of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Can anything be better than that? Well, apparently so, because look at how verse 3 begins. Not only that. (laughs) You mean, Paul, that there's more to this? And his answer is yes. There is much more, and he's going to open that up for us in the next several chapters. But look at what he says here. I want you to notice how the justified glory in the pressure that comes from God. What if someone comes to you and they say, I want you to be part of our group, part of our team. You're going to have a close and caring team. You're going to have a place at our table and you're going to be one of us. And then comes the next line. And even more than that, you get to suffer. There's going to be lots of pain, a lot of hurt. You might even die. Do you think you're going to jump at that chance? Well, you better believe it. If you're a football player or a basketball player, and the person asking you is the owner of your favorite professional team, or maybe they're the head of the Navy SEALs, and they're inviting you to be part of that very elite group, or perhaps even the director of the the president's secret service. Well, Paul says, even more than having peace with God and a place in his kingdom family, you get to suffer. That's what we see in verse 3 when it says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We boast in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. It's a privilege to suffer for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. Do you want to know whether you've been justified? Whether you have been born again? Do you glory in suffering? Why is it that a Christian can glory in the suffering that's placed on us, in the pressure that comes on us in this life? There are two glorious reasons. First, because when we are truly born again, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, the Christian knows that no matter what happens, God is sovereignly in charge, and he is working through it for the good of his eternal purpose and out of his love for us. You know that SEAL team member? When they go into the enemy's zone, knowing that they might be wounded or even killed, you might ask why. 
The answer is he believes in the mission and he trusts his team leader. Well, the true Christian glories in the pressures that come on us because we trust the team leader, Jesus Christ, and we believe in his mission. The second reason that Christian glories in suffering is a powerful belief that God is using that suffering as a means of preparing us for eternity. You see, the football player spends those many hours of training and pain so that he can be ready on game day. The Bible makes it clear that your life and mine is full of a lot of garbage that needs to be cleaned out. If you want to become pure gold, you need that purging fire. So we glory in suffering because we know that it is producing in us that weight of eternal glory. But I also want you to notice how the justified understand the purpose of God as proof of the fact that they belong to Christ. You see, there's a key word that appears after the phrase, rejoicing in our suffering. You see it in verse 3. It says, knowing, knowing. Of all the things that have been said so far, the way to identify whether you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ by faith in him is that one word, knowing. You see, other people would say, I wish, I hope, well, I think. But Christians can say, I know. We know what God has done for us in justifying us, that we have peace with God and we have a place in his family. We understand just how massive that work was to take us from being an enemy of God, who is dead in our sin and rebellion, and awaken faith in us, opening our eyes to see what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And if he has done that for us, then we know that he who began a good work in us is bringing it to completion through that suffering. With confident assurance, as children of God, we know that our Father cares about us and that he will only do what is good for us. While I lay weak and weary from that virus, I rested in this confidence that my Father, my Father who had lavished his love on me, that I should be called a child of God, that he loved me, that he cared for me, and that he was working in me for his glory and my eternal good. Let me quickly share with you the last two points from these verses. We glory in our position in Christ. We glory in the proof of our belonging to Christ. But now I want you to notice that we glory in the process of our becoming like Christ. God has one ultimate purpose in justifying us and then in placing us under pressure. God's goal for the glory in every Christian is to conform us to the image of his son. That's why verse 3 continues that suffering produces. Suffering produces something. You know, every team has someone who is that team's hero. Go to any high school and look in the trophy case, and, and what are you going to see? You're going to see some number there. You're going to see some picture there. You're going to see some trophy there of an individual in that school's history that really stood out. Think of a sport, and a certain name will pop out that every player in that position wants to emulate. Well, for every true Christian, our goal is to be like Jesus Christ. So notice how the justified believer exists in persevering in God. Perfection doesn't come without suffering. I smiled at one of the devotionals from last week in preparation for this uh, sermon. It discussed what it would be like, what it would take, really, for us to be like one of the Marvel comic heroes. You know, not just the actual 
comic person, but the, the person who plays them. What would it take for us to be like that? The writer said it would take one to two hours a day, five days a week, for a couple of years for that to happen. Well, my friends, I've spent one to two hours a day for sometimes six days a week, and even at my peak, I didn't look like any of those guys. Try six, eight, or even more hours a day in order to become what they are. That is what Paul is saying to us in our glorying in suffering. We do so that, as verse 3 states, suffering produces endurance. You know, there's a theological term that, that we use in place of the word endurance. It's called perseverance. To persevere through thick and thin, through health or sickness, in the storms of life, we do so for, as Job stated, I know that when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Jesus told in the parable of the four soils that some will profess faith in Jesus Christ, but under suffering, their faith would wither and die. True faith grows deeper under suffering as God gives strength for each day. Eight weeks dealing with this coronavirus was no fun, and I'm far from being back to where I should be. Yet during that time, I learned to pray better. I was able to keep up with the Bible memory work and... I saw more clearly what God was able to do and what he is continuing to do in this church because of this pandemic. You see, in that perseverance, as you turn your eyes upon Jesus, you understand more clearly both the what and the why of suffering. But I also want you to notice how the justified desire to be proven before God. We believe in persevering in God, but we also need to recognize that we are being proven before God. The Christian doesn't seek to prove himself or herself to God. You and I know that we are weak and helpless babies. But we also know that God is at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. As a result, we glory in suffering, knowing, as verse 4 states, that endurance produces character. I have a lot to say about that. I could preach a whole sermon just on that phrase itself especially since our culture doesn't believe in character. What does character mean? It means to be tested, to have a testedness, a proven worth. We live in a, a culture of narcissists. Everyone wants to believe that they are just fine the way that they are. Schools no longer want us to test kids. We don't want any kid to fail, and so we don't test them. Parents tell their children, you can do anything that you want. Positive thinking gurus espouse that belief in books and TV programs, saying that all you need to do is believe something and it's going to happen. Few believe in proving someone's worth, but God does. See, God is building character in us through that testing. He wants us to move away from being spiritual children tossed about by every wind and weight of doctrine so that we might grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our final point. Those who have been justified glory in the power by which you bear up in Christ. In the end, this is really all about not what you and I do, but what God has done and is continuing to do in us. The work that God does in us through endurance under pressure provides that proven character that gives us the final result that we find in verse 5. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. 
Character does not produce pride in our accomplishments. It provides hope in God's accomplishment as he works in those whom he has justified. Notice then how the justified receive that proof of God at work in them. Ultimately, how a person responds to suffering is not so much a proof of their faith. It is proof of God's faithfulness. Look at the second part of verse 5. Because God's love has been poured into your hearts. We don't have hope because we have proven character. We have proven character because God has poured his love into us that gives us hope. Thank you for joining us for Church of the Week. Tune in again next Sunday at 3 p.m. Telling the world about the love of Christ is a church's mission. Empowering that church is ours. If you would like more information on Church of the Week, contact General Sales Manager Laura Schaefer at 212-857-9639. That's 212-857-9639.